This is an RNZ podcast. Last February, the Minister for Broadcasting and Media, Chris Farfoy, chose the premises of one of the country's very oldest newspapers, the Otago Daily Times, to announce that $55 million would be spent over the next three years to sustain local news and journalism. During the uncertainty of the COVID lockdown the previous year, he'd pledged to support at-risk journalism in the interests of democracy, and the Minister actually has another $20 million up his sleeve if Cabinet thinks the media need that too. And this makes the Public Interest Journalism Fund the biggest single public investment in journalism for decades. Media companies big and small, local and national, public and private alike, can all apply to it, even those who've never had public money before. Now, the government insisted that this fund would be dispensed at arm's length from it by the government's broadcasting funding agency, New Zealand On Air, though its board members are, of course, appointed by the Minister of Broadcasting. And opposition politicians have complained long and loud that the media will be reluctant to bite the government hand feeding them. Just last Thursday, National Party leader Judith Collins said this in an interview on Facebook. You know, you have to wonder, does that buy compliance or what? Um, and if it doesn't buy compliance, then why is part of that? Are there conditions in that that says that you've got to be seen to be promoting the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi? What the hell has this got to do with it? You're talking about free media, free speech, and you've got a government going around telling people, well, well, we'll help you out in the media because we think it's good to have a media, but you have to say what we think you should say. I just don't, I don't buy it. And I don't think media should be buying it either, but quite often, obviously, some have completely drunk the Kool-Aid. Now that reference to the treaty is all about New Zealand on-air guidelines for the fund, which were issued in April, which said it must actively promote the principles of partnership, participation and active protection under Te Tiriti Waitangi. The guidelines also said New Zealand on-air intends to work with the Māori and iwi journalism sector to ensure parity of need and interests within the sector. New Zealand On Air also requested proposals for the fund that report from perspectives including Pacific, Pan-Asian, women, youth, children, persons with disabilities and other ethnic communities, as well as those made by Māori about Māori perspectives, issues and interests prioritising the needs of Māori. Now, some journalists saw fishhooks in all of this too, writing about what he called the danger of putting the media on the government's payroll, Graham Adams pointed out that the role of the treaty in our constitutional and political arrangements is actually a bit of a hot issue at the moment, but any journalist airing dissenting views of people on the treaty as a partnership would be out of luck. The Public Interest Journalism Fund has been set up to spend the money in three ways, on specific media content to be delivered to a deadline, on employing reporters in newsrooms around the country, and on industry development, particularly cadetships and training. And on Thursday, New Zealand On Air announced what it's spending the first $10 million of the fund on. Around 40% of this first funding round has gone to projects benefiting Māori journalism, and the biggest single project is a training programme called Terito, which will train and hire 25 journalists and cadets. This is a collaboration between Māori Television, News Hub, NZME and the Pacific Media Network, with 11 other media organisations in support. Among 33 other funded projects are training for iwi radio staff around the country, a boost in funding for Auckland's urban Māori radio station Radio Wātea to deliver programmes and news to the 20 iwi stations around the country. 
Non-Māori-specific projects include a series called How Good Is Our Public Service? That's by the online news service Business Desk, and it may be one the government may not actually be too thrilled about. And likewise, a follow-up to the Inside Child Poverty documentary, which screened 10 years ago, and the funding at that time created a political interference controversy when a national-led government was in charge. Programs and investigations on what will happen when the Alpine fault ruptures, on type 2 diabetes and on how to fight public health misinformation have also been funded for a range of media platforms, many of them not run by the big names in local media. Raywin Rash is New Zealand on air's recently appointed Head of Journalism. Kia ora Raywin, thank you very much for joining us on the programme. Kia ora, nice to be here. Uh, when the fund was launched by the minister, he specifically referred to things like at-risk public interest journalism and underserved audiences. But I do note from some of the things that have been funded, some of it's not altogether new. For example, uh, the Detail podcast, the co-production of RNZ and Newsroom, things like, for example, The South Tonight, um, which is uh, local television for um the Dunedin and Otago region, uh, that already exists. So is some of this also kind of rebadging of existing projects? Because those things were already funded by New Zealand On Air, it makes sense for them to actually come into the, the journalism fund. And so they are coming across, and in some cases, the fu- you know, if they had um, funding that had been established um, under the um, existing media fund, that's... Uh, some of that's come across as well to this fund. So it's basically tidying things up and, and putting them all in context with all the other journalism projects. But having said that, they still had to compete against other projects and they all um, met the requirements of the Public Interest Journalism Fund. There's Watea News, Pakiwaha, which is a morning programme. Uh, I mean, that currently exists. That's being funded, I think, 400 So is that going to be sort of repurposed and beefed up with this investment? Yes, that's a very exciting project, actually. So, I mean, Pakiwaha currently is a, um, is a, is, is a half-hour show, I think, once a week. So this is actually turning it into a morning current affairs show. We, we're creating what is essentially a um, Māori morning report. Um, at the moment, it, it's really an interview-based um, situation, um, but we're actually beefing it up with a, a few um, journalists as well. So they'll actually be able to go out and cover, you know, um, news, with the training, I mean, that's interesting because the biggest ticket item in this is the Tereto project, which is media organisations clubbing together, uh, 25 Māori and Pacifica cadets. And I mean, we do have journalism schools and there's internships at media companies. Is this uh, saying that basically that's failed or that's at least failed to bring in uh, Māori and Pacifica and, and other journalists? I think we can definitely say that there is an, uh, a huge need at the moment, there is no institution in New Zealand that trains Māori journalists. And the training that we do have has been sort of funnelled into, into three-year degrees. The number of applications that we had from the industry shows that they see an absolute need to not only um, uh, bring more people into the journalism sector, but also to train them in very hands-on um, skills that they feel they need in the newsroom. We are having conversations with the journalism education sector to see, okay, so, you know, what's happening? Why is it that you are producing um, uh, graduates and yet the industry is still saying it's underserved? You know, there's a bit of a growth spurt happening now and um, we just don't have the bodies to fill it. And in particular, Māori journalism is completely um, 
at, at a crisis state. Because what tends to happen is at the moment, the only training really being offered to Māori journalists is via Māori TV, who managed to identify you know, some stars um, from Kura, bring them in and give them a little bit of training, and then they are poached. Collaboration seems to be something that's in the guidelines right from the start, uh, emphasised for uh, this fund. So I think you had a summit in early June, perhaps, where some of the media companies were told, look, your applications are not very collaborative. You know, that, that perhaps were you telling them that, you know, don't see this just as an opportunity to get your costs covered to do things individually as companies? We wanted to ensure that we could make that money work the hardest that it possibly could. And that just wasn't going to happen by duplication. I know that it caused a lot of um, grinding of teeth in the industry. Um, it certainly did when it happened in June, yes. Yeah, and there was quite a lot of pushback. But at the very same time, there were a lot of conversations that happened that would have never happened in any other situation. Out of that will come some actually you know, some really strong relationships. And I'm particularly thinking about the regions because that's, they're, they're the areas that have been hardest hit by this journalism crisis. So it makes sense for us to be more collaborative. Yeah, we already have a local democracy reporting service, which yeah. is expanding. That's yeah. specifically for that, isn't it? Yeah, and, and that's an example of something that's actually, I know it is working, and it is providing news to um, local and regional areas that probably wouldn't have been there otherwise. Well, do you so double up with that a little bit because you're still funding things that went on beforehand, like those local focus videos that go out on the NZME platform, you know, video journalism from regions and so on that existed before that's being funded here too? No, we, I mean, we're very careful about duplication. So, for instance, local focus is, um, is a very broad um, kind of look at local news, whereas the local democracy reporter is very focused local government reporting. And we'll, we will be very clear about ensuring that duplication isn't happening. Well, as you'll be aware, there's been some political criticism of the fund even before it opened, just the idea of it. Um, People concerned, specifically uh, opposition politicians, about the media coming onto the government payroll effectively. Judith Collins just this week was, was voicing those concerns. For example, Carl Dufresne, a former newspaper editor, uh, wrote to his former paper to say, you know, organisations have to commit to a set of requirements that include, among other things, actively promoting the principles of Te Tiri Te Waitangi. And he says, in other words, a news outlet that seeks money from the fund is signing up to a politicised project whose rules are incompatible with free and independent journalism. I mean, is he actually right about that? I take offence at some of um, the criticism that, especially around Tetiriti, I do not understand how um, encouraging and incentivising our media to understand our founding document and therefore provide um, better engagement with all New Zealanders is a bad thing. Well, in the, the way that the way that Judith Collins put it, specifically, you know, the principles of the treaty, what's that got to do with the operation of a free and independent media? It should be up to them to decide what they cover, and they shouldn't have to have in the back of their minds whether it's consistent with the treaty or not. I think that was her objection. They're, they're confusing two things. One is how the media covers things, and the fund does not editorialise how they cover things, you know, or what they cover or what they say in their coverage. It does require that they understand tertiary principles. So if you understand tertiary principles and you want to be critical of those principles, then well and good. But actually many media organisations do not understand tertiary 
and therefore um, the the conversations that they are curating are uh, run the risk of being biased, racist, and not delivering to the chitiriti partner that is Māori or tangata whenua. Well, one specific objection that was made was to say, "Oh, look, if the treaty and how what it should." Uh, role it should have in our constitutional political arrangements is actually a bit of a topic at the moment uh, with I guess news around Hepuapua and things like that so if someone actually wanted to apply to the fund to make a program that covered those topics would that be possible uh, or would that, would that be something regarded as a bit too contentious because it, it might be seen to, as potentially undermining uh, Te We absolutely want to encourage conversation in this, in this sphere but we want to ensure that that conversation is fair and that it is actually coming from an understanding of what tetiriti is actually about so that we're not just getting into, you know, um, a polarised debate where we where we get into a debate where actually both sides of the story can be told. I don't see why that would be a bad thing. And, and for some projects, for example, there's one about uh, explaining the possible consequences of uh, the rupture of the Alpine Fault. And in that instance, I mean the treaty wouldn't really come into that at all? Yes, it does. I mean, that's the thing. Tertility actually comes into everything. When we um, first looked at that proposal, we noted that there was no Māori content in that proposal at all. So we went back to the um, proposers and, and had a chat, and actually, you know, what they've come back with was is fantastic. And they are, you know, the project is stronger because now they have some um, engagement with Naitahu have absolutely have lots of experience of of the earthquake situation and, and how it affects their communities. I think we've strengthened that proposal because now it has one element of it that will actually provide to Māori audiences and also provide uh, a viewpoint that um, other audiences may not have seen before. So I think that strengthens it. I don't think it made them... I, I, it wasn't a requirement that, that was onerous, and in fact, I think they would say themselves that actually it's, it's, it's a good thing. So people might end up putting proposals forward that might have no identifiable Māori element uh, or, or consciousness in it. And in that instance, the proposal might be considered, but whoever proposed it might get feedback. Well, look, why don't you amend it in this way to include? Here are some perspectives you may not have thought about. Please include these in your final product. And yes, then it can be considered. Is that the way it works? Yeah, and I think, you know, the whole idea around asking organisations to think, to, you know, to have a tertiary lens at the very heart of their organisation means that we wouldn't have to have these conversations. I'm not sure why in 2021 I need to explain to media that actually it's important that Māori voices are seen and heard. And then at your June summit, the, there's um, material on the website showing a proposal from the Aotearoa uh, media Collective about bringing cultural capacity and even this concept of partnership editors and that applications could apply to New Zealand on air for, um, for a partnership editor. Does that mean actually you could have an editor attached to you who would have knowledge of uh, tikanga and te ao Māori and they would be part of the project? Um, no, it's actually much more fundamental than that and what it's actually trying to do is to put partnership editors at the senior level of an organisation so that they can provide that guidance and, and that surety around things at a very 
uh, senior level, and therefore it would flow down through things so that, you know, hopefully one day you wouldn't need to, you know, <laughs> have cultural advisors assigned to particular projects because from an organisational level there is some sort of cultural safety sort of built into it. And, and you know, so, so we're not just telling people, you know, to, to do this. We're actually going to help facilitate that by um, bringing, um, using the Aotearoa Media Collective to come in and assist companies to look at their strengths and weaknesses and to see how they could create um, a partnership role. So the, um, the partnership editor roles will be run as a pilot. We'll work with the industry each time we, we come to a round, you know, we reassess, you know, is this providing the, the best uh, bang for buck as we go forward and can we, how can we change those criteria? So, you know, we'll, we'll continue to be in touch with, with the sector about how things are working I'm not concerned that we are holding the media or making them jump through hoops they don't want to jump through. Um, these are hoops that maybe they should have been jumping through a very long time ago. If we go back a bit, when the last time a Labour government tried to um, you know, in, intervene in, in public television, for example, the TVNZ Charter, TVNZ was given money to kind of compensate for them to run a bit more public service programming. And at the time, that money just kind of cross-subsidised the production. Um, I mean, could that be the case with some of these um, these grants? I mean, if not every dollar was spent on that particular project and it just helped make their organisation healthier, would that be a problem? So every time we look at a proposal, we absolutely look at, is this business as usual? Could you not be doing this currently? Um, so the applicants are absolutely asked, why, why couldn't you just do this yourselves? Why do we need to fund it? So it's not like we're just... Um, handing the money out uh, left, right and centre. No, certainly. But if, if, say, are you going to want to see receipts for spending of absolutely up to the, the dollar of the amount that you give for those specific projects, like how good is our public service? Or is it OK, you know, you're not bothered if it, if it goes to support the business a bit, they don't spend it all on that one project. Um, is, is that OK? No, every, every proposal has an um, incredible amount of um, contracting that sits around it. So they will all be required to um, show the um, public interest journalism logo, which is being designed as we speak, um, that will sit on it so that, that, that the public will be able to see wherever public interest journalism funding has gone, they'll be able to see it. We're also um, putting in uh, an unprecedented level of tracking of the content. So each of those proposals has a contracted amount of content they need to produce and they will be um, checked on every, you know, every quarter, and we will be monitoring. If they haven't produced the content they said they were going to be producing, then we will be looking at that, and we may not, you know, continue to fund if we if the contract has been breached. But just finally, Raywin, uh, I know you've only been in the job, I think, less than two months. In the bigger picture, it's a three-year thing this fund, but some media companies are going to become very dependent upon it and, and no time frame beyond three years to, to give the media industry any certainty that you know this um, source of funding is going to continue into the future? Well sustainability has been our other catch cry apart from collaboration so sustainability and collaboration so every time we fund something we look at it and we go you realise that in two years time you know the money is gone from this fund and I think, you know, there are some projects, um, like the training projects, for instance, which is one of the reasons why we've, you know, we've got 11 training projects in the first round. Um, we know that that, that will go on um, post uh, the, the fund to actually 
create a better media environment, so that's fantastic. Some of the projects are very short shelf life projects, but what they do do is start to build back that sense of, of, of public interest journalism so that hopefully, you know, in a couple of years' time, we've built an expectation that actually these are things that are important, important to our country. I look at, at, at the level of New Zealand um, funding of, of public um, media, and um, it's very, very small. We apparently are at, um, you know, the, the, almost the bottom of the list. One of the reasons that we're spending quite a lot of time and effort in tracking the results of this fund is so that hopefully by the end of it, we will be able to demonstrate that this is what was produced, this was the outcome, this was the public good that came from it. And hopefully, you know, we will find other ways or the government may even look to to continue some of the funding in some way or shape or form because without it, you know, the situation remains dire for many media organisations. That's Raywin Rash, Head of Journalism at the Government Funding Agency New Zealand On Air, who oversees the $55 million Public Interest Journalism Fund. And you can hear more of what she had to say about that and a full list of the projects funded with the first $10 million from the fund. It's in the online version of the story on the RNZ website or the RNZ app, or you'll find it in our podcast feed, available wherever you get your podcasts.